Coach, how do you summarize what this season meant to you as a first-year head coach here? And there's, it was more than I could have, it's more than I could have ever um, dreamed of as far as the joy that these young fellas brought to my life and how great it was to live life with them. The moment you hugged all the players coming off in here, what did that mean to you and what do you think that meant to them? Well, yeah, I, I was there because I wanted them to know that we were not going to hang our heads in this. Like, this is a lot more of a life lesson than anything else, that things may not go your way, but it's how you respond. I wanted them to, to be able to quickly turn the page because in life, it, they don't let us just wallow as long as we want to wallow in things that go, don't go well. Aggieville, Aggieville, I'll be out in Aggieville. Aggieville, Aggieville, I'll be out in Aggieville. Aggieville, Aggieville, I'll be out in Aggieville. Aggieville, Aggieville, I'll be out in What's up, everybody? You're listening to yet another edition of Cocaine Willie. And tonight, Fireball Matt's going to burn it down, which, you know, what big, big shocker there. Negative Matt. Matt hates everyone and everything. Just kidding. We're going to recap the historic NCAA tournament run for Jerome Tang's first K-State Wildcats squad. And we're going to put a nice bow on the incredible successes from both the K-State football team and men's basketball team for this year. And then finally, to wrap up our season one of Cocaine Willie, we're going to open up the live room for our superlatives and roundtable questions for the audience. The good chef, Andre Napier, my partner in crime. Oh my gosh. Are we going to put a bunch of sad music at the beginning of this? No, absolutely not. We're not going to put any sad music out there. We've got, we've got a lot to celebrate, my guy. Oh my gosh. Not, no, not, that's not what I mean, but you know I me. Mean. Like the, it's the end of this season one of Cocaine Willie Extravaganza. You know, I just didn't know if we were going to like swan song it off into the, the sunset. I mean, here's here's the way I think about this. I, I want this content to be as evergreen as possible. So if people listen to this a month from now, it's going to be just as relevant as it is today. Let's rack up the let's rack up the streams on this thing. I don't know how many people are going to listen to this. Everybody's, you know, <laughs> if anybody is like me, you know, it's just like you stay away from any kind of content that brings the blues which is why we're going to try to keep it positive, but I don't know how positive it's going to be since Fireball Matt just joined. Fuck everyone and everything. <laughs> we're off to a really strong start tonight, boys. Uh, no, 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 no. I, okay, okay. I'll say, I'll say it nicer. Frick everyone and everything. There how we go. fun! How fun was this, man? I mean, it was just what a last of a season we have we've we've seen the ends of both spectrum i mean we had our hearts break broke at the end of the season we've we've reached the pinnacle i mean we've seen wabash cannon dog flaccid penises my god what a ride it's been my are you trying to make me laugh to make me feel better about myself because it's working. It's working. It's, it's, it's definitely working. Come on, buddy. Crack a smile for me. Think of those Wabash. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Nothing gets better than the photo that Hazen posted of, of the Wabash Cannon Dog. Like yours, yours, Matt, had like nice lighting. It was there, there down by the court. Hazen's just looks like 
a, a really disgusting, like the hot dog's been sitting in a, in a tub or a vat of water for a really long time. It's probably a health code violation. It just, it looks disgusting. And your description of it afterward with the soggy bacon and everything, I think Hazen's picture of it really lives up to the expectations that were set from your description. I mean, if we really think about it, the description of the hot dog very much matched New York City. And, you know, so we were meant to be in New York City, not because we had four players and one coach, but because our hot dog looked like a dirty water hot dog. Did it not? <laughs> Was that your New York accent? Oh my god! <laughs> yeah i i had to I had to learn that accent to pass first grade in New York. So, I mean, it checks out. I I mean I'm I'm here for it. I'm here for it. So. I mean, first off, let's let's just start. We've got we do have two games to recap. We're not going to get into a ton of individualized stats. We're going to look at these both definitely for more of a high level. But I mean, we haven't spoken since the Michigan State game, guys. It's been it's been a minute and it feels like a lot has happened between that Michigan State game and now. But K-State pulled off really, I mean, one of the most exciting games I have ever witnessed in basketball, not just talking K-State games, but just a men's basketball game in general. This was one of, if not the most exciting games I have ever witnessed a college basketball team play. And K-State defeated the seven seed, Michigan State, 98 to 93 in overtime. I mean, really led on the backs of, of Marquise Dowell and, and Keontae Johnson. And, and I just... This game was incredible. Not enough can be said about the game that Ke- uh, Keontae Johnson had because he had 14 points before uh, before halftime. He, he rounded it out with – I would need to look at the exact stats of the game. Let's see here. Keontae had 22 points, uh, five rebounds – or six rebounds and uh, one assist. Uh, and then Marquise Dowell, I mean, again, not enough can be said – of the type of game that Marquise Dewell had in this game against Michigan state, he had 20 points. He had 19 assists and he had five steals. What that did was it set an NCAA record for a single game uh, for uh, ever. Uh, This has never happened in tournament history that a player has had 19 assists in an NCAA tournament game. It was the highest mark in the tournament. Uh, since Darren Williams, or wait, no, since Dwayne Wade of Marquette in 2003, he had 23 points and 10 assists. Um, it's the first time a player's had that many points and assists in a single game since Dwayne Wade. So that's a great name. And Marquise was also the first player since Darren Williams of Bruce Weber's runner up 2005 Illinois team to have 50 plus assists in the tournament, which, which really couldn't have been done without this effort against Michigan state where he had 19 assists. So, I don't want to get into all the individualized stats. There was a lot that happened in this game. I think the lob, the lob play from Marquise to Keontae is an all-time great play where he was, you know, showing the numbers and and faking everybody out with what seemed like potentially an argument between him and Jerome Tang and and potentially a scripted play. No one really knows what the truth is there, but I'll, I'll throw it over to the two of you. I, I just want to hear your your candid unfiltered thoughts on the game against Michigan state, because we're going to try to be as happy as we possibly can tonight, regardless of the fact that there's still a a shitty game and a shitty outcome that we have to talk about. 
Um, I can start. Uh, it was the best basketball game I've ever witnessed. I was very fortunate to be able to go on Thursday night. Um, it was a game that it had, it had a lot of moments where I felt we were going to lose, um, which as you know, is pretty typical for me, but um, the way that Marquise Noel really willed this team in that second half was spectacular. Um, he, it looked effortless. And when you're witnessing something like that, that's just so effortless, the way that he's able to maneuver the basketball, find open guys, make the right play in that type of environment, um, just proves how much he how much he's grown in his time at K-State and really taking the moniker of Mr. New York City. I mean, he, in the first game in New York City, took really the the country by, <laughs> by hand and just said, like, this is me. Like, this is who I am as a player um, and, and ran with it. It was an amazing thing to watch. Um, we had opportunities in the second half that I felt like we blew this game. The way that Michigan state was shooting the basketball, it was, I mean, they were just doing such a great job of making baskets behind the arc. And, you know, we would go on a little mini run and you feel like things are kind of in control and there they go on a five point spurt. And, um, you know, it, it sucks the life out of the the building a little bit, or at least your fan base. But, um, you know, just the, the it, it was a sight to behold, just being able to come back in that overtime. And um, I, I'm, I'm just so proud. It was it was an amazing thing to watch. It really was. Um, I I'm still kind of in uh, in awe about it. So. Matt, Matt's 100 percent correct. The, the game is beyond, you know, like instant classic It is it's something that will be a program-defining game for ever. I mean, people still talk about Xavier, the Xavier double overtime game from 2010. I mean, they talk about it like it was yesterday. I kind of remember that game like it was yesterday, you know, and I'll I'll remember this game for probably the rest of my life. And all because Marquise Noel willed his team. And, and I not take anything from anybody else on that team – on, on that game, Keontae, he definitely, you know, he he was efficient, 10 of 18 from the field. I mean, he finished at the rim. I mean, a reversed alley dunk. I mean, that's just ridiculous. He played all 45 minutes. And then you got Marquise Noel, who would have been, who would have had all 45 minutes on the court. And who knows how his two minutes off of the court affected I think it was two minutes off the court affected what the outcome of that game could have been if he would have stayed out there and not sprained his ankle and you know he went he tweaked his ankle that's that's just a storyline that is so ridiculous because he said it at the end of the game and I'll get to that but you know he sprains his ankle and he comes back in after the team while he's off the court, gives up like maybe an 8-0 run or a 7-2 run or something like that, where the they let Michigan State back into the game because we were up maybe 7 when he left. And like Marquise Noel said at the end of the game in the postgame presser, it was a rocky fight. They 
were absolutely going haymaker for haymaker. And Matt said they were, it was tales of runs. You know, we'd let them, let them get back in it. We would go up big. We would get back into it after them going up three or five. And it was just an absolute, it was a movie, my guy. It was a movie. You could not, you couldn't hand that to a Hollywood, you know, a Hollywood film room and say, hey, I want to make this movie. They'd be like, this, this shit is fake. This shit, no one would believe that a guy, like, you laid it out perfectly. The, he has the moniker Mr. New York as his Twitter handle. He's from New York. They're playing in MSG. He's five foot seven on a team that, you know, was nowhere to, should not have been in the place that they were, but he willed their team and he breaks records in the NCAA tournament in his home, in his home state, in his home city. I mean, it's just the game that, you know, will never, ever die. And Marquise Noel is a legend in K-State lore that will live forever. You know, that that Michigan State game was the best game, in, in my opinion, in Kansas State history. I can't wait to rewatch this game, you know, even just year, multiple years down the road. And dude, you haven't rewatched it yet? Hell no, I haven't rewatched it yet because I'm. Oh I'm my still god, like, you're sick! Insane! I, Insane! I, I need to rewatch it. How have I know. You not watched it. I know. I need to rewatch it. I'm going to at some point. I'm still just. I'm letting the dust settle from the season first before I before I try to relive any of it. Um, which is you know part of the reason why I think it's going to be well deserved. We take a few weeks off after after tonight's episode, but. Man, I, I can't wait to rewatch this game years down the road with with my kid at some point, and you know, just be able to tell the stories and and talk about the legend that that Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson have left on this program because they really are the way that I'm viewing this season, and, and we'll get to this in a moment. But I'm viewing it as the foundation for for years to come of hopefully a lot of success from, from Jerome Tang and, and the squads he's able to put together, but really none of this happens without Marquise Noel. None of this happens without Keontae Johnson betting on himself and, and coming in and, and losing out on that insurance policy for, for multiple millions of dollars to come play at K-State and bet on himself and, and make an impact here and, and set him, set himself up for, for the NBA draft, which he will be drafted in the NBA draft, God willing. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm over the moon with, with how this, how this game turned out. You know, I, I, I do think that unfortunately leading into, you know, that the Florida Atlantic review here, uh, unfortunately, I do think the fact that it went to overtime, you know, similar to that Butler game in, in 2010, it, it led to guys maybe not being at a hundred percent as far as just the energy level and, and what they brought to the court that day. Uh, unfortunately, case they did drop, uh, to nine seed Florida Atlantic 79 to 76. This was a really, really tough game. Uh, I do want to again talk about the performance that Marquise Noel had in that he had 30 points, 12 assists, and five steals. Uh, and and really it was a game where, where some of the other guys on on the squad were quiet and, and unfortunately it just didn't go in our favor. But but we did see flashes from from other guys. You know, it's it's just a tough it's a tough game. It's a tough way to end the season against a team that, that you feel like you're better than and, and a team that, you know, their, their Ken Palm was higher than K-State's for whatever it's worth. And, and there were multiple times throughout the season where Florida Atlantic was was highly rated. 
in multiple different, you know, rankings, whether it's AP poll or, or Ken Palm or the net, but it, it's not the way you want to end the season, especially losing by three, especially when you had the final shot in the game uh, to the guy that, that has made that dagger shot for, for other games in the season. He did it against Baylor. Uh, Ish was the guy that made one of the final plays against Kansas uh, that sealed the deal in overtime by, by grabbing the ball and diving for it at the end of the game against Kansas. So, so you had the guy who Marquise knew he wanted to give the ball to Ish. And, and unfortunately Ish was kind of, he got double teamed and, and ultimately nothing, nothing came of it. You lose by three, even though you have the last shot with the final seconds. And it's a disappointing way to end the season, especially knowing how the bracket opened up, knowing that we would have played a, a San Diego state team that, that is beatable uh, by all, by all accounts. Uh, and knowing that the you would have been the highest seed, you would have been the highest seed in the Final Four if you if you pull off that victory against Florida Atlantic. So, those are my thoughts on it. Uh, again, I don't want to belabor anyone with stats, but I'll throw it over to since we started with Fireball Matt last time. I'll throw it over to Chef first uh, for for your takeaways on the Florida Atlantic game. Okay, yeah the the game was it was uh you know it's just. Could you chalk it up to the overtime game previous the day the two days before that? Maybe. I mean, Keontae played all forty five minutes. Maybe that. I think that might have been the first time that he's played a game forty minutes plus all season. You know, and I, I expect that from Marquise Noel because he's the most conditioned. I, I can say this with utmost confidence: he's the most conditioned athlete that's ever donned purple and white. Uh, so I was expecting that from him, uh, from that Michigan state game, but to look down at the box score and see that Keontae played all 45 minutes and now he has to go on a short day rest against a, you know, a very physical Florida Atlantic team. And we knew that going into the game that they were going to do things similar to what other teams had tried to do against us, i.e. Kentucky, i.e. Michigan State, where they tried to crash the boards hard as hell, and they did that. I mean, they, they had a 7-1 guy that we had no match for, realistically. We just did not have the size for that big Russian bastard. And calls, you could go either way. Free throws, I think that's where it realistically hit Keontae Johnson the hardest was the free throw line 0 for 3. Is that the difference in the game? I mean, you could say that, but I'm not going to put this on Keontae Johnson because I think a lot of things happened in the game that swung it in Florida Atlantic's direction. You know, we shot well from the field. We just got absolutely outclassed and out-hustled on the boards. Offensive rebounds off of missed free throws and... Deep, uh, defensive rebounds when you know we're in position, it's the ball's right there, and we let the ball just get scooped up. I mean, it's just little things like that that happen. And I'm not, you can't say that some things would have happened differently if something else would have happened. You know, it, it just doesn't work like that. The game happened, we lost by three, we didn't get a shot off at the end of regulation, but all in all, the I'm happy with how the team performed outside of the obvious, but the team showed grit. They showed heart. They never gave up. We're down. We gave up a, a seven point lead with 
so many minutes left and we're down, but we never gave up. Cam Carter comes down and drains a three to get it within one. And, you know, we just, we never stopped fighting. And I was, I was proud of the boys for that. Okay. Are we ready? Are we ready? Because. Yeah, we're, we're ready. We're ready. <laughs> Go ahead. The train is coming. Um, I agree, Chef, with everything you said. But this was an enormously missed opportunity for us. It was. We can say, you know, for we can say a lot about what this team has done this season. And it does like this game does not discredit that a team that finished last in the big 12 or excuse me, it was picked last in the big 12 a team that finished second in the big 12. You have big wins throughout the season. You get through the NCAA tournament. You have two huge games that you find a way to win. This was an enormously missed opportunity for us. I think compared to, the Loyola year that we lost and the Butler year that we lost. I Florida Atlantic is a good team. They're a good team. K-State made a lot of very silly mistakes in this game. They've been consistent at the free throw line for most of the season. Yeah, I think it's safe to say. You cannot shoot 67% in an Elite Eight game at the free throw line. You can't do it. Florida Atlantic had 22 turnovers in this game. We had 12. You cannot lose to a team that has 22 turnovers like that. And and they were turnovers that we had opportunities to get fast break baskets and we throw the ball away and we miss a layup. And those things add up in a game like this. And so I... This was a very hard game for me as a fan to swallow because I do feel like we gave up a really good opportunity here and a path that was very much lined up. And I was telling people this before the game, like Florida Atlantic's a good team. I'm not surprised that this would be a close game. I'm not. And I personally felt that this was going to be different. There were a lot of things stacking up to this game that I felt like it was going to be a different turnout. Um, The fact that they out-rebounded us like that, I was very shocked with the game plan. I I felt the game plan was going to be fairly similar to the Kentucky game. We knew that Oscar Shibwe was going to get 20 fucking rebounds in the game. We knew that. But the way that Florida Atlantic out-rebounded us showed what what maybe someone can perceive as Where's the toughness? Like, this is Elite Eight. You're playing a game to get into the Final Four. How are guys out-rebounding us like that on the defensive glass? I I don't know. Um, so, I, I, I just – it's hard for me. I understand the positivity because we had such a great season. And there are a lot of people on social media that are discrediting people, I would say – for having the opinion of there's, you can't feel anything but positive for this team. I can feel that we gave up an opportunity to play in the final four, because I don't feel like we played as hard as we needed to in that game. So it's very tough. It's very tough for me. Um, The fact that we had a seven point lead at the under 12, we had a really good run going and that's seven Oh, like we're, you know, we're up seven right after that. 
I I'm trying to piece the puzzle or the puzzle pieces in my head, but pretty sure they missed a shot. We had an opportunity for a fast break. We throw it away and then they go on a run. I mean, they're a good team. So it's, it's disappointing because I do, I wanted to see this team uh, overall. I wanted to see these guys play another game. And I feel like I, I have the right to feel disappointed that I can't see Marquis Noel and Keontae Johnson and Desi Sills those guys play another basketball game in Houston, in the final four, because I do feel like with the way that they've played throughout this tournament, they deserve that. I could not agree more with you on that. And, and I think my, my biggest takeaway and, and the only thing, only comment I have is that was my biggest frustration is that I'm never going to get to see Marquise Dewell, Keontae Johnson and Desi Sills play on the same court as some of the guys who are going to be sticking around, hopefully, you know, they don't they don't enter the transfer portal, but playing on the same court as guys like Ish Masood, uh, Naquan Tomlin, and and it's just it, it's really frustrating to for that to happen because we we had a really incredibly fun squad to watch this year, and it's a fun brand of basketball that really we haven't seen since the Frank Martin days. So it that's that's. I would echo that a hundred percent. My biggest frustration is, is the fact we're not going to get to see this team play another game. And I feel like we were, we were robbed of that opportunity. The only thing I'll say about this, and I'll push back a little bit is, you know, the, you brought up the people talking on Twitter, pushing back on people being disappointed. When you say that you're, you're disappointed because you don't get to see Marquise Noel, the list goes on of guys being back on the court, but to throw those guys under the bus and say that they didn't try hard is kind of like, you know, two ends of the spectrum that don't make one whole, you know, it doesn't make sense to say, Oh, I want to see these guys on the court. And these are, these are, I'm disappointed. I don't get to see them. And it's because they didn't play hard. These, these guys, you know, they bust their ass every every play out there. The other team hustled. You know, could you have seen more hustle? Maybe, but it's it's not that they're not trying. It's they're literally putting it all out there, but it's just not it didn't go our way. The ball didn't bounce a certain way. You know, it getting killed on the glass is just something that happens. And you know, we we played hard on defense. We made them shoot tough contested shots and stuff like that. But, you know, to say that you want to see them on the court, but to say that they didn't try hard is two different things that I I just don't, I don't buy that. And I don't, I don't subscribe to them not trying hard out on that court in the elite eight. I'm not saying that they didn't try hard. Like I'm not, I'm not saying that it was small mistakes that add up in an entire game. Right. Like, the rebounding is a piece of the puzzle in trying to win a basketball game. Now we've been out rebounded the season in games and still won. And so the, the rebounding in this game was a disappointment because after a game like the Kentucky game, where we knew that we were going to get out rebounded in that game, you find a way to game plan against that and win. And it's small little mistakes, you know, missing free throws and giving like giving up rebounds in situations where if you're boxing out a guy and we still can't get our hands on the ball, that's a, that's a tough play. Yeah. But it's one, especially in that type of game that you have to make. 
So I, if I'm coming off that the guys did not, those guys did not try hard, that is not my intention. I want to state that, but Florida Atlantic had a really good game plan against us and they did a good job in, in putting that together. And even beside that, we had opportunities to win this game or at least trying to extend the lead, get back into it. And execution was a huge factor in this that led to the loss. So I, I, I just want to preface with, I don't feel like they didn't try hard because that's a game that could have went, we could have been down by 10 in that second half. We started making shots and making stops and they were doing a good job making free throws. But at the end of the game, we still had a chance to at least tie it. So I I don't want to come off like that, but I'm saying that small things over time, you know, in this game kept us from being able to make a run or kept us from being able to keep the lead down to three, five, um, and, and led to the path where we weren't able to execute on the last play. There was definitely execution, you know, things that didn't happen, that didn't go our way, that we were, we were seeing so much, you know, we were, God, I don't even know how to put this. We were running things so smoothly versus Michigan State and versus Kentucky that it made it seem that was almost perfect offensive basketball that we were running versus Michigan State. You know, every pass that Marquise Noel had was in the pocket and everybody caught it. There was so many times in this game that it's – this is almost normal basketball, what we saw from Kansas State in this Florida Atlantic game that we saw all year. It's good basketball, but there's some – like you said – and I wasn't trying to throw you under the bus, like saying that you were that you were going after the kids, because that's not that's not what I was trying to say. I was saying more people on Twitter, like getting after kids. You know, there were people on Twitter that were bashing these guys, like that they weren't holding up their end of the bargain, which is bullshit. But what I'm saying is, versus Florida Atlantic, we were. This is more of a normal K State game that we saw. You know, the turnovers were at a relatively normal level for K-State, 12 is is reasonable. You know, Marquise Noel was throwing bullet passes, and a lot of the times you can't hold on to those, and those are turnovers that we're willing to accept. Versus Michigan State, shit, he had 19 assists on two fucking turnovers. And I think might have one of them might have been an offensive foul or something like that on like a push-off. So, you know, that, that was never a real uh, – realistic thing that was going to happen where we were going to run perfect offense and not have these turnovers, these little, like you said, these little missed opportunities. We were never going to run a perfect offense, perfect offensive game again, probably this tournament. And like, like we saw, we didn't, and it came back to bite us because a drop pass here, a missed layup here, a missed opportunity here, a between the legs pass that's dropped turns into those are six points that we would have had in Michigan state that we did have in Michigan state, but we didn't get in the Florida Atlantic game. And I'm not going to knock the guys and say that we, that that's just normal. That's what happens. And the better team won that day, the better team won Florida Atlantic played a better game of hard nose offense 
and hard nose getting after the glass, and that's where they won the game. So for me, I could never be mad at that. Like if we were out, if we if the roles were flipped and we had twenty two turnovers, but we didn't crash because we never crashed the glass like that. Which is not what we do. If we had twenty two turnovers, then I would then I would be utterly disappointed. But I could never be disappointed with how they perform because. If we were to say in a Big 12 game that we only had 12 turnovers, we would be fucking over the moon. Look, all I want to say is I can't believe we lost. We had this game in the bag, and we blew it. That That's true. I will say, like, I will say that we did have a substantial lead at a point of the game, and we didn't execute on some plays and while, they, while they went on a run. So, yes – if that defi- if that's the definition of blowing a game, then we blew it. But I I cannot I cannot go to the extent of saying that that this team did anything wrong. In my opinion, it was a tough loss, but we we still had a great season overall. I mean, a great season. What are you talking about? We made it to the Elite Eight, and we couldn't even make it to the Final Four. We had the talent to win it all this year. It couldn't get it done. (laughs) I know it's disappointing, but we still had a really good season. We should be proud of our team. Absolutely, dude. And, Matt, I know what you're doing, but you're not going to trap me. I'm not going to let you... Not gonna let you bait me into this. I'm gonna go with Bob on this one. Bob, you are correct. Okay, so season. But when was the last time we won a championship? It's been years. We're always the bridesmaid, never the and bride. fucking, it's and fucking Virginia, old. Virginia Tech's women team is gonna fuck around and win it, and we're gonna be the last bridesmaid. We're literally gonna be the last bridesmaid in in power, you know, division one. Sports without a natty. <laughs> so for those, so for those who don't know, about the last three minutes of this was a script written by ChatGPT, where I plugged in the the prompt, "Hey, ChatGPT, write me a script for a podcast where a negative co-host named Matt starts talking about the fact that we were not able to beat the the team we played in the Elite Eight and make the Final Four. And so it, it was pretty spot on. And my favorite line, frankly, was the uh, the we're never the we're always the bridesmaid, never the bride. It's getting old. Uh, and you know, you put this together as I'm walking out of MSG on Saturday night, and so the Chat GPT was feeling my emotions very hard as I was scampering out of that arena in the cold rain, and uh, yeah. So it, part of that was actually me. <laughs> yeah. it frightens me that AI is that is that smart to to be able to read your emotions in the moment and and be able to deliver them so eloquently, ever so eloquently. Uh, I I guess just real quick I I think the last thing that I want to point out is is Marquise. He was on the All Region team. He was the MVP for the East Region, which again two really incredible accomplishments accomplishments for a guy that didn't win uh, in, in the elite eight round. And for him to be the MVP of the East region says a lot for what he brought in, in his games and, and what he did on the court against, you know, Michigan state, Kentucky and Montana state. And the last one that I'm going to say is uh, you know, in, in the, 
He was the first player since Darren Williams of Bruce Weber's runner-up 2005 Illinois team to have 50-plus assists in the tournament. And the thing that's wild to me about that is, is Darren Williams had two additional games to get to that 50-plus assist mark. So the fact that Marquise did all of this in three games, he broke all of those records. He set the bar super, super high for, for point guards who were playing in the tournament for any team, uh, or really anyone who, who likes to distribute the ball regardless of position on the court. But I just want to give him all of the applause and, and all of his due. That that guy did not quit regardless of, you know, there. The, I'm not going to say that the, there were other guys on the court that, that did quit. But Marquise did not quit until the, until the very end, and and I, I'm gonna very much miss having him on the basketball court. I'm gonna miss seeing him play in Bramlage, and uh, that's that's all I have on that. I mean, any, I guess we should round it out. I mean, do we want to talk about this hoop season as a whole? We've we've kind of talked about it a little bit, but you know, where do we want to go from here? Because I've got it kind of in the outline. Yeah, you're seeing how the sausage is made, everybody who's listening. In the outline, I've got us jumping to football and then talking about hoops. But do we want to just talk about hoops and then and then pivot to bat or football? Um, I'll I'll just quickly say something about the hoop season. And um, I remember sitting in a hotel room and had to have been like October, November, and uh, we were recording our show and we had Grant Flanders on that show, and he said that the K State was going to make the NCAA tournament, and he was adamant. Right? He said this team's making the NCAA tournament. And we had him back on the show in January after that Texas win in Austin. He's like, this team's going to make the NCAA tournament. This team's going to be good. And so number one, what I've learned is we have to trust Grant Flanders and everything that he says. He could tell me to jump off a bridge and I guess I'll probably do it. So, um, you know, this team has shown just so much in the, in the past, what, five months, um, how a team of guys can come together, gel, and make things happen on the basketball court. Um, Marquise Noel developed into uh, – I mean, people are talking about him as a pro now, and I, I, I believe it. I mean, if a team, a team sees the vision of what he can provide on the court, um, I, I, I hope to see him you know, in the NBA someday. Keontae Johnson, I feel the same way, but – it's some of the the personalities and what social media has done to really bring this team to light and bring this program to a completely different level than it was a year ago. And, um, you know, to see, uh, you know, Desi Sills, uh, is a guy that, uh, we're going to miss his pearly whites and, uh, you know, <laughs> it, it, Egeola, Bebe played some great minutes this season. And, um, and so it's going to be very like, it's going to be very interesting to see how this team, uh, you know, changes and develops over time. But I think it just proves, proves a fact that number one, Jerome Tang can build a program. He has a coaching staff that believes in the mentality, believes in what this program can be. And he's going to bring in players that have that same mentality. So uh, it was a special season, uh, the highs and, and thinking about the lows, uh, I, I, you know, I'm sure I could put a chat GPT together on that. Uh, but I, I, I'm very proud. I mean, I'm, I'm very proud to be, uh, somebody who uh, went to K state and, uh, to be able to see this program in the national spotlight like this, uh, it, it just changes the mindset of what we are as a school. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm really proud of this hoops team, no matter 
anything that I've said negatively in the past five months because everybody knows that I'm pessimistic. I mean, golly, this this basketball season was an absolute wild ride. I mean, we didn't even really – when did we start actually delving deep into basketball season? I mean, obviously it was after football season that we really gave it all its full-blown attention after the – after the Big 12 championship, I would assume. But, I mean, I remember the one game that I saw live this year. It was the Butler game. And if you were to tell me then, at sitting in Hinkle Fieldhouse, that this team was going to be an Elite Eight team, I'm not going to say I wouldn't believe you, but it would have took a lot more than Grant Flanders to tell me that we were going to be a, a, a dominant you know, four game winner in or three game winner, one, two, three, three game winner in the NCAA tournament that we were going to make an elite A and be one shot away from, well, two shots away from making it to the, to the final four. That Butler game, you know, it had ranges of emotion for me seeing them. And I, I said they, they've got talent and, but we we and you brought up the coaching staff just a second ago, Matt. That they 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 recruit guys. They know how to uh, find talent. And for me, that showed me right there after that Butler game that they knew how to switch things up when they needed switch because that was really one of their first real road tests because it was after the Bahamas. And they needed to change things up because something happened while they were on that road trip that might have influenced the the outcome of that game. And they got it done, and they they won three straight to open Big Twelve play, and it was on from there. And this season was just—I mean, it was perfect. You know, Keontae's. I was nervous for Keontae at the beginning of the season. Would he? Would he? Would he stay? Would he take the insurance policy? Once he did that, would would his legs be able to stay? Will he? Will will we have a? What is it wrong for me to think in the back of my head constantly? Is is he going to have a health scare on our watch? I mean, I was nervous for that for shit. Probably the the first twenty games of the season, and I was nervous about for Ke- we're nervous for Keontae and. There was just so much in this basketball season, and it would I I wouldn't. There's a it would be hard for me to think of any other outcome of the season other than obviously winning the national championship that I would I wouldn't trade for this season because this this season was just marvelous. Beating KU on a a lob dunk when you know that's nuts. <laughs> who who thinks of that? It's just, it's it was incredible, and I I was I it was even more fun because I got to you know talk to you guys about it all year. I agree, and and for me, I think back to that first episode with Flando. I think he he picked K State to finish fourth in the conference. At the at that point in time, we were so heavy into football. At that point, I was I was hardly even thinking about basketball, but. In retrospect, I mean, he was pretty much spot on. I mean, the team finished third in the conference instead of fourth, but but 
for for the team to finish even third in the conference and then get a three seed, it's the the best that this Big Twelve conference has been in in years and it's a tough conference, but from top to bottom, this was the highest quality of basketball from top to bottom in any conference in the country. They beat two historic blue bloods uh, in the sweet 16 and the round of 32 to get to the elite eight. You handed Texas their first loss at the Moody center. It ended up being, I think their only loss at the Moody center all season. You beat Baylor subsequently right after that in Waco and, and sweep Baylor for the season, which has been one of the top two, three teams in the big 12 conference the last five years. And so again, the KU, the KU overtime win at at Bramlage, there was just a lot to really be proud of this season, I think for this team. And I, I, I'm really excited to see where things go from here, because I think the biggest thing for me is when you look at Jerome Tang and K-State and when you, you know, Matt, you bring up the assistant coaches and you bring up kind of the foundation that's been laid here. These guys come in, none of them played on the same teams together. I, I'm sure, you know, Marquise and, and Ish ran into each other, played around with each other, you know, at Rucker Park or, or whatever in New York over the years. But you've got a bunch of guys who have never played organized basketball with each other and they come in and they gel I think that all points back to the culture and the foundation that this staff has laid in. And this, this culture is something that you can rinse and repeat year over year. And and it's similar to some of the stuff we've talked about with football, where you can get some plug and play guys and, and you can develop other guys. But if you have that culture there, that foundation is set for years to come. And as long as you find guys that, that mesh with that culture and, and what you're trying to accomplish as a program, your program's going to be set up for success. And, and, you know, I, I just, I think about it as well with Rodney Terry at Texas, like that guy has a culture there that he's established and, and he's the right guy for that job moving forward, regardless of what his, his past history looks like from a coaching or head coaching perspective. I think the exact same thing for K-State. I think the foundation's been set. I think the culture of this team is top notch, top tier. These guys love each other. Their faith is all really important to, to each of them, whether you're a person of faith or not. It's, it says a lot about Coach Tang to go to an Islamic service for, for Ish Masood and Bebe Ijiola, even though he's a Christian guy. For him to reinforce that and, and support them in that is really important to him. And for him to buy the house close to campus so he can host people for family dinners on recruiting visits so they can participate and, and see what that culture is like is super, super important as well. So I think the foundation has been set. I'm going to look back on this team with a ton of fond memories, knowing that this was the very first domino in what I hope will, will end with not just, you know, one elite eight appearance, but with, with a national championship at some point, potentially more than that, who knows the, the, I think the ceiling of this program is completely wide open at this point, knowing what was accomplished in year one, knowing that there were multiple games that we won that, Maybe we didn't even field our best team that day. And I'm just really, really stoked to see where, where things go from here because that culture and that foundation has been set. And if we can continue to bring in guys that fit that culture, whether it's an, an outgoing senior in high school or a, a community college guy that had that didn't play high school basketball in Naquan Tomlin or a guy that you know had one of the scariest things happen on, a, on an organized sport court field, whatever happened to him and gave up on $5 million of an insurance policy to bet on himself. 
and came into K-State and, and did what he did. And two of those guys might end up in the rafters. Naquan may end up in the rafters, depending on what he can develop and turn into. It's, it's just incredible to me what this staff has been able to do in just over 365 days. So that's, that's what I've got on the hoops chat. Any, anything else before we pivot over to football and, and start to talk about the season of football that we had holistically? Cause I, I don't feel like we did a good enough job of summarizing that season before we went straight into basketball back in January. All clear on my end. Doug Sermon sucks. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. Uh, so just to, just to cap off football real quick. So it's been a while since we talked about football. So correct me if any of these facts or anything are wrong, but you know, we had a football squad this year that was picked to finish fifth in the conference before the season, there was a lot of high expectations with with what most assumed would be Deuce Vaughn, Felix Andrew DK Uzama's final years. Uh, you've got a transfer quarterback in Adrian Martinez who is going to play his final season of, of college football as well. And he really had a lot of things to prove in, in a, a very polarizing career that he had at Nebraska. So I think a lot of folks were really excited to see what Adrian Martinez was going to bring to the table. And there were a lot of question marks. Let's just call it what it is. There were a lot of question marks across different parts of the roster, whether it's linebacker, safety, or otherwise. And, you know, I, when I look back on the football season and I think about that early loss to Tulane, which was probably the least fun episode of Cocaine Willie we've ever recorded, when I think about the the disappointing losses that we had to, to Texas at home, uh, to TCU at Fort Worth, where we really gave them a run for their money and then just collapsed in the second half. And there were all those injuries. I, I do think outside of those three losses, this team shines super bright in every other regard. And, and, you know, I know there's four losses. I know that we lost Alabama, but we're not going to talk about that. Uh, this team shined bright in every other regard and, and exceeded most people's expectations with an appearance and a win in one of the most exciting big 12 championship games that I've ever witnessed uh, in recent memory and a chance to play Alabama in the sugar bowl. So, First New Year's Six Bowl, technically, since they've started using that terminology. Looking at the football season holistically, and I know this is a real hard pivot to football, but what are some of the main memories or takeaways that the two of you have from this year's football squad? I'll go first. Matt, I don't want you cutting in front of me. I'm going to get on this question before you do. Uh, You know, the football season was... Everything that we expected it. I remember, God, me and Matt, you know, doing that first. Was it me? Was it me and you, Matt, doing <laughs> yeah. that first episode of of South Dakota? And it was yeah. just, you know, we're just going through. We're just boys talking ball. You know, we're just going through the roster with so much, you know, you know, just so much joy, breaking down each player, like what this team could be, and who who would have thought that that was the that was the team that would make a run to the Big 12 championship game and you know subsequently win it and it was a roller coaster like you said i mean Adrian Martinez he got hurt and Will Howard and the, the shine what would it, what would have been the Will Howard that god the, just the, the the emotions that he had to go through because 
he finally got the season where he thought he was going to be able to redshirt, and Adrian can't can't do it. He just there was too many too many games where he could he couldn't give it a full go, and you know that led to the stardom of Will Howard, and now he's going to be running the show for this next season, but taking over for for him in multiple games. God, I mean, the absolute – this is probably my favorite moment. The absolute pantsing of Oklahoma State, and that really – I mean, that really put the gun to the horse's head for Oklahoma State season. But 48 blank, Will Howard – in. I mean, he was a stud that game. Deuce Vaughn running away. One of the few times we'll we'll one of the last times that we're going to be able to remember him. I mean, diving in the end zone. I'll remember that game for a long time too. But the season was just great, and man, I'm glad. I that's another thing. I'm glad I got to cover with you boys. Uh wow. You know, football was. <clears throat> it seems like it was a long time ago, but uh, the Sugar Bowl really was. I guess about a couple months. Um, I, I will preface that I thought the team was going to win the big 12 before the season started. And my fan dual wallet can approve that, but this is, uh, it, it was a team that also gelled in, in good moments and, um, post two lane loss. Uh, I was not on the pod for that one. Uh, thankfully, I took a little bit of a break uh, after that. Um, I didn't know what this team was going to have. And, and the Oklahoma State game definitely was that proving ground of, oh, shit, this team has the ability to really kind of bring that firepower. And um, even the Oklahoma game on the road, uh, I mean, that was a fun one uh, to watch overseas uh, when I was over in Europe. But I uh, I was just really proud of the way that a, a guy like Adrian Martinez came in and he had some doubters outside of the K-State program because, you know, in Nebraska, he turned the ball over, blah, 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 blah. Adrian Martinez was a great player for us um, before he got got hurt. And uh, the, the Oklahoma game was a, a sight to behold of just have a, a guy almost like Marquise Noel of being able to command a program or, you know, command a game. Uh, he commanded that Oklahoma game for sure. And uh, not being able to see Deuce Vaughn playing college again, or Felix, uh, you know, sacking guys, it, it, it's extremely, you know, it, it's emotional to think about. We have a lot looking upwards. I mean, Will Howard is developing and he's, you know, an incredible player. Um, it'll be interesting to see how Trishon Ward comes in and fills two spawn spot. Um, it, there's a lot about this team that, that we can look forward to in 2023, but we can, we can be very proud to say we won the big 12. Um, again, a, a, one of the best football games I've watched us play, you know, that TCU game and the big 12 championship game. And, um, this, uh, this is a, this is a team that, you know, at, this is a team you can be really proud of um, with the way that Chris Kleiman is also building this program and, you know, bringing in the right guys, the right fit. And and the fact that Colin Klein is staying as well is huge. Um, 
if he left for Notre Dame, that would have been a huge loss for us. And he, you know, he believes in this program. I'm sure he believes in the money he's getting as well, which is well-deserved by the way. But, um, you know, he believes in what Chris Kleiman's building and, um, it, it football season's always, it, always fun because every game is extremely important. You know, college basketball, there's 30, however many games and, um, you know, you lose a handful of them through the season. It was just a bad game. You know, college football is a tough one because you got 12 games to really prove yourself and maybe you'll get a 13th. So uh, it's it was an exciting football season for sure. And, you know, bring on 2023. I mean, September is soon, right? It's it's going to pop up on us quick. And I'm, I want to say this before. I, I before Bob switches us over to you know whatever we're going to guys talking ball probably but the one game that I saw this season making it out to Manhattan was the Mizzou game and we got them on the schedule for for next year God man pantsing them was awesome it it was a torrential downpour at moments of the game but God damn that was a fun game and I'm I'm super excited to be able to see the boys go to Columbia and, you know, stomp a mud hole in that ass again. Yeah, that will be, I'm looking forward to that game on the schedule. You know, the UCF game will be fun because you know that they're going to bring a really good contingent for their first big 12 game ever, but the 2023 schedule fits this. It fits the, uh, the mindset of this team can, can, can win the big 12 again. I think the schedule really fits for us and the Missouri game on the road is going to be a huge test. It's going to be a huge test for this team. I think uh, Missouri will be a little bit better than they were last year. Didn't they pick up a transfer quarterback too? You have to think so. That quarterback was I don't, a pass. I don't think they did. I think they're riding with that young kid that they had a freshman that they really wanted to see in that Mizzou game. And they didn't, they didn't pull him out that, they, they think he's the future of the program. But, I mean, Troy, that, that's a scary – that's a scary game. That's right – that's very Tulane-esque, you know. I'm calling that now. That's, I'm going to be shitting my pants for that Troy game. But, like you said, the, other than that, I mean, how exciting is it? The new Big 12 starts next year, and we get to see teams that we normally don't see. I mean, the teams that I wanted to see, I wanted to see Cincinnati and West Virginia on there, but, you know, fuck it. I mean, Houston, BYU. Do we get BYU? No, we don't get BYU, do we? No, sir. Fuck. Houston God, Houston, shit. and UCF are the two newbies oh, that we get. Okay, never sure. mind. I apologize. That would, God, that schedule does suck. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead, uh, and, and, and No, I was just going to add um, – I, everybody can circle their calendar for November 4th, probably for the UT game, or as it's commonly known as battle of Bob trolls being his wife. Um, so that'll be interesting to see who gets that one. I can't wait to hear the voice memos again. this year. Oh, Those God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> bring on the bring, bring me more voice memos. Yeah, the the voice memos are going to have a, a crying baby in the background this year. So that's I don't know if they'll be as aggressive as they were last year, but we'll we'll find out. 
before we get into guys talking ball, we're going to take a quick break to talk about our sponsor, Spotify for podcasters. Okay, people who are in the live room, get your speaker requests up there because we've got some end of season questions and superlatives that we want to have everybody participate in. So get your speaker requests up or I'm just going to start randomly inviting people to the stage and I'm going to invite everybody and I don't care. So we're going to invite everybody to the stage. My first question that I have for the group here is for football. What is the program's ceiling and what is the program's floor under Chris Kleiman, especially coming off of a season where, where K-State won the Big 12 with a 9-3 and record and then made it to a, a New Year's Six Bowl, got an opportunity to play Alabama. We also have to think about the fact that there's going to be a, a new college football playoff that starts the season after this next one. So where do you see this program's ceiling and floor under Chris Kleiman and I'll go ahead and start with Catsman, who is our first uh, live room contributor for the night. Hey, guys. Hi, buddy. Hey. So, <laughs> so we got football, Chris Kleiman's ceiling and floor? Correct. All right. I'd say his ceiling is probably at least like the since the playoff will be expanded i think i think his ceiling would probably to be to win a couple games in that and make it to that and then his floor i don't know i really feel like his floor is probably like a 6 and 6 type season still bowling but i don't know i just i like him a lot um I think the ceiling is the college football playoff. Um, that would mean probably you have to go ten and two and win the Big Twelve. That would be my guess. I guess you you know nine and three, depending on the season. But um, I, I think the way that the way that the Big Twelve is going to shake out, we have a, a good opportunity in the next couple two. I would say two to three years um, is is a a good time frame to really think about, okay, can this team make the playoff? Um, so that'll be my ceiling. I think the floor is six and six. Uh, there, we're going to have seasons where we're going to have to kind of regroup this thing, but the way that he's really used the transfer portal on the football side has taken some of the, the negative, you know, taken some of the negative pieces of we're losing this talented guy. We're losing this talented guy what he's done to, to revamp the defense and bring in guys who can really execute on day one has been huge. And the offensive side, of the ball is going to be, I, I feel like the struggle if you can't do things in the transfer portal and you pick the wrong guys, then you're not going to be in a position where you're going to be able to win a lot of games. So I would say the floor is six and six. Man, you guys, you guys suck. You know, for me, I think a final four in, you know, the college football playoff once it's expanded, I mean, I could see that realistically, like Captain Man said, you know, winning a couple games and, you know, making it 
I mean, to the peak, you know, right there. And whether that's a two loss season, I mean, our out of conference schedule shaking out, depending on who we're, we're playing. I mean, that leads into Bob Trollsby's, you know, uh, conference expansion and stuff like that. Do we get rid of those Arizona games? Do we get rid of those Colorado games into the future? Who knows if Chris Kleiman's even coaching that long, but to me, the floor, the the ceiling is. I mean, getting getting damn close to a natty, and the floor for me is probably like eight and four because the the recruiting level that we're we're incre- we're who in the Big Twelve? Now, this is no knock on the Big Twelve because we're losing our star power in Texas and Oklahoma, but. Who in the Big 12 is realistically high school recruiting at such a level that's way better than Kansas State? I mean, I can't think of a team right now. TCU. I mean, mean, but TCU, did they have a top 25 class? I I don't realistically think they did. I know they killed in the transfer portal this year, but this is going to be another Sonny Dykes prove it year. I mean, he had the magical run very similar to, I mean, K-State basketball where, you know, they were picked kind of low and then they just went on a tear because they had the magic of Max Duggan and they had first-round talent under Gary Patterson's recruiting and his historic, you know, his historical brand at TCU. But will he be able to continue that? And if you – and that's the thing with the transfer portal, in my opinion, that if you miss on the transfer portal, that sets you back so far. It's not like these high school kids where if you're recruiting, you know, top 10 classes in high school, high school recruiting, those are 25 kids that are 20 kids that you're recruiting out of high school that are top 25 players or top 100 players, if you miss on a couple of them, you still have a damn strong, strong, strong team. But if you're missing on those 10 to 12 transfer portal kids, that sets your program back a lot. So TCU is very heavily depending on, uh, you know, a lot of Alabama flips and all that stuff. But K-State's building it in a way where we're recruiting high school at such a strong level compared to what we were and we're dabbling in the, in the transfer portal and sprinkling with older guys. So for me, an eight and four season is kind of what w- is somewhere where we want to be. And if we're below that, that's if we have a seven and five or a six and six season, are you guys happy with that? No, that's, that means we're below the floor in my opinion. So the floor for me is an eight and four season. Cause I think, what ha- outside of COVID? What hasn't? What has Chris Kleiman proved other than eight and four? So that's to me eight and four is the floor. I agree with you there. And, and for the record, TCU has the number nineteenth ranked recruiting class according to On Three's consensus for twenty twenty three. I think I, I agree with you. I would say that the floor is seven and five personally. I think in a year where we don't really know what the expectations would be if we were starting pretty much fresh across the board, 
which again, doesn't really happen all that much knowing that we do have the transfer portal to, to pick and choose and, and plug and play pieces from, but I feel like seven and five would be the floor of what I'd be happy with it or content with. I wouldn't be happy with it. I'd be content with it. And I think, I mean, worst case scenario, I think this program could go six and six, but you know, that's currently the the ceiling of that team down, down I 70 for whatever that's worth. So I think six and six, all things considered, isn't terrible, but, but I do think the floor of the program right now, seven and five. And, and I agree probably more so with Matt that the team's ceiling would be like a 10 and two, like the blueprint that TCU laid out this year, I think is, is the ceiling for this program where, where you're inevitably going to lose one or two games in the conference. You're going to win or lose. I mean, they, they've lost the conference championship game and still made the playoff. So I think two losses gets you in Uh, making the conference title game gets you in. And with the expansion of the playoff, that's a completely different, completely different story. But even if K-State had lost the conference title game, we still would have been close to the conversation. We would have been just outside of, of the college football playoff under the new model, but as an at-large bid, but it's, I don't know. It's just interesting to think about that stuff. I think the ceiling would be like 10 and two make the college football playoff in its current form. But I think, you know, nine and three could get you in the new format. Uh, if you do or replicate what K-State was able to do this year. Uh, my next question, we'll start again with cats, man. Where would you rank this football team for you all time? That can be in your lifetime or that can be all time for K-State football teams since the beginning of time. Yeah, I'll say uh, in my lifetime, it was probably my second favorite because 2012 was right in the peak of my like young life, I guess. So that one was pretty special to me, even though it didn't end well. Um, but this one was way more fun because now I'm a true fan into the weeds of it all. So it's close, but, Um, I would have to agree. Uh, I think the 2012 team would be the number one, uh, for me. Uh, yeah, we just had a lot of games that season that, um, you know, were, were really fun games, uh, the Oklahoma game that year in Norman and, um, you know, was one of those that was just so much fun. Um, obviously, uh, you know, the, the end of that season was, I, I feel like it wasn't it, it was it wasn't how that team should have ended the season. Um, you could look at a lot of different plays uh, when Colin Klein Colin Klein you know got sketty brained at the TCU game and you know maybe we weren't <laughs> maybe we wasn't you know a hundred percent there for the Baylor game and um, I'm pretty sure we lost Ty Zimmerman in that TCU game too. Uh, and so the Baylor game, we were playing a true freshman, Dante Barnett, who ended up playing, you know, very well for us. But um, I would put this, uh, this past season at probably, I, I guess, two. Um, I guess the 1998 team, I was eight years old, so I can't really count that one. Um, so uh, this team is high up there. I mean, they, they really had an excellent season. When you win a Big 12, you can't not rank a team high because of that. So, Yeah, I mean, it depends on what you're – like all time, like 
would they win against each other? Is that what we're talking about? Or like all time favorite? Like that's just in my like how I perceive them. How are we d- defining this question? I mean, I'm I'm thinking where do you rank it across all K State teams of all time? But but where you personally rank it is totally fine. Oh, I mean, like, are we talking about like who do I think would win, or do I just like my favorite? What do you want to do? Do you want to pick oh, your favorite? Oh well, or who okay. do you think uh, would win? Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't it, matter yeah. to me. Oh, okay. Well, for me, I mean, for me, my favorite was probably '03 because I mean, Darren Sproles was my probably one of my favorite players of all time. You know, Deuce compares, but God, just beating that '03 season in Arrowhead, beating probably what they say air quotes the greatest team of all time and, you know, absolutely curb stomping them. That, that will, that moment is all time. It's, it's classic. And I watch that game on YouTube every once in a while. So I'd probably say, Oh, three, then probably 2012. That team was just so much fun. T lock, Colin Klein, Arthur. I mean, Arthur Brown, probably I mean, just a sneaky good, you know, like all timer at K State. Those two years were were so fun, and then I'd probably put this one, and then like Matt said, I mean, I was eight years old for '98, so I don't really remember it. I mean, I was living in, I was actually living in Kansas at the time, so like my parents were going to games all the time, but you know, I don't, I don't really remember it all that well. But I'm gonna say. Yeah, so I'll go 03, 2012, you know, 2022, and then 08. I mean, I agree that I would probably rank it second all time just for, for me personally because I was six years old for the 98 season. I was 11 years old for the 2003 season, and so I remember – those two seasons, but not in detail by any means. And, and I wasn't watching sports center really closely enough to take note of the fact that Bob Stoops had the greatest team of all time at Oklahoma in 2003. So for me, it's, it's number one is 2012, just because I was a student at that point in time, I was able to, to go to every single home game, went to the Fiesta Bowl that year, regardless of the outcome, it was a fun trip to, to go down there for that and watching every, I mean, being, just every single moment of that football team that season was, I, I just, I relive it in my head a lot because it was one of the most exciting and fun times for me as a K-State fan. And yeah, watching every game, going to the TCU game away, there was just a lot of really fun moments for me that season. And I would rank this as second just because where the program ended up as far as results are concerned, it was a big 12 title. It was a new year six bowl. We got to play a, a really incredible national brand in Alabama in the in the Sugar Bowl, regardless again of the outcome. And I think it it's setting up for a lot of success down the road for K State moving forward with the football program to know that we can reach the the success that that we did. So that's that's where I'm at. I, I think next question is men's basketball. So what do you see as the program ceiling? The question, the answer to this question is probably different now than it was two weeks ago, even for, for most of us. Where do you see this program ceiling and floor under Jerome Tang for men's hoops? I'll start with Katzman. 
I would say dealing honestly a national championship. I mean, I, I still believe that he can do it. It might take a few years now, but I really think he has it in to get that done. And then four, I'd say, yeah, depending on like the cycling of recruiting and everything, I'd say like the on the bubble would probably be my floor right now. But, you know, that's. that's a- um, I, you know, I actually agree. Um, I think the ceiling is a national championship. It, I feel like a year ago, this would have been crazy to say. So that in itself is one of the reasons, um, you know, the way that he had to build this up and, and he just has the ability to find the right guys. I, it, it, it's still kind of shocking to, to think about, you know, the two guys were here and you have to rebuild this whole thing. And, um, and so it, it, it makes me more confident in, in knowing that this program has the ability to get to the NCAA tournament, get and win games in the NCAA tournament, and, and be a, a possession away from potentially playing for a Final Four in your first year. Um, the, the floor, uh, the way it, it's going to be interesting to see how the big 12, what the big 12 is going to look like five years from now, because you take UT and Oklahoma out of the equation, you know, UT, the Rodney Terry experiment this season worked out. I I think he's a good coach. Um, So they're going to the sec. Um, You bring in UCF, not really a great basketball school. BYU in Houston, I think will be consistently good in the big 12. And with uh, rumors of like a Gonzaga potentially coming in or, you know, Arizona, Arizona state, those types of teams. Um, it's going to make the conference a lot more difficult. And so is the floor a, a Dayton team first four, maybe, maybe that's the floor. You know, if the big 12 is going to get eight or nine teams in the big 12, you know, in the tournament every year, we're in the driver's seat because we have a good conference. So I would say the floor is, is like a first four team. So like a 12 seed. Um, But I don't obviously hope we do better than that. Man, the, the ceiling is obviously natty. We, you know, we, you've seen it this year, just year one, right on the doorstep of three games away from, you know, winning it all. But Went a little short, but I will say I'm going to go a little pessimistic, you know, for that floor. I mean, who – like Matt laid it out. The teams that we're bringing in, you forgot Cincinnati, historically a, a damn good program. And maybe UCF is that bottom, like, team that we just, like, step on and that's an automatic dub every year. But outside of that – Fuck, dude. I mean, this conference is loaded, and who knows if Houston can keep that up. If Gonzaga's added, whatever, that's who knows if they're if what they would be if they're added to the Big Twelve gauntlet every year, and what what kind of program they'll be. But 
God damn. If you have a, a year where you're reliant, look at look at Purdue. A team like Purdue in the Big 12 with a freshman backcourt, if you have freshmen running your team and you're not loaded up through the, the transfer portal and key positions, you could be in a world of hurt trying to go through this gauntlet of the Big 12. And if you miss too many games – you're out you're out and you're not in you're not in so like Oklahoma State I mean they were right there and then all of a sudden they you snap their fingers and they're out of the thing and they're not in the tournament and that could potentially be any big 12 team at any given moment maybe not Kansas but any team could go through that and it would it is so finicky that you miss the tournament would I want it to be that? It's very similar to how my thoughts on for for K State football, but Tang has to prove it. He's proved he's proven it so far that he's a legitimate coach. Now, can he sustain it? If he could sustain it for two or three years, where they're constantly in a tournament, then my floor will change. But next year, we're losing our best players. Will he be able to? run it back and prove again that he is the the coach and the recruiter and the program sustainer that we think he can be. If he can, then the floor will move. But for right now, the floor has to be, you know, NIT. I mean, that that's the floor to me. My answer was going to be NIT. I, I think even, even Frank's, some of Frank's best teams went to like, he had one of Frank's best best teams 2009 that that roster was loaded that's basically virtually the same roster that went to the elite eight in 2010 that roster was great it went to the nit bob huggins's first roster and only roster at k-state went to the nit i i think the floor is the nit and and i could see a jerome tang team going and winning the nit in a in a year where we get snubbed and they have that chip on the shoulder mentality and and Honestly, you have to lose or you have to win fewer games to win the NIT if we're being realistic. So, you know, this team has already proven that they can play and win three games in a row. That puts you in the final four in the NIT. So I, I think the floor is an NIT and, and probably a deep run, if we're being honest. And I agree with Will in the comments here for, for those who are listening to this afterward. But our ceiling has always been a national title. Our ceiling has been a national title since we went to the final four in 1948, back when the tournament was what, 16 teams. So I, I think the ceiling is absolutely a national title. Um, and, and my next question here for, for the group, again, we'll start with Catsman. Where do you see, or where do you rank this season all time? For for your and you can you can break it all time for the history of K State basketball that would be very hard to do. But where does this season rank for you personally, uh, as far as basketball seasons are concerned for your lifetime? Yeah, personally, uh, I'd say it's probably my favorite, just because of all the highlight plays and the storylines and the new coach and like. It felt like, like some people have said, like a movie script. It's, it was crazy. I'd say it's probably my favorite, and then, I mean, my second. It's definitely probably that elite eight run with Jacob Bowen. Oh, um, you know the, 
this team's up there. Uh, I've been fortunate, I would say, especially when I was a student at K-State. You know, I saw uh, the 9-10 season, uh, you know, the the 11 and 12 season, or excuse me, the 10, 11 season Jake's last year was, um, you know, uh, it was great to see a team that really kind of had some bumps in the road and they were able to, to get some big wins that season, beating KU at home. That was an amazing game. Um, you know, the 2018 season, you know, winning the big 12, um, or is it 2019, 18, 19, um, you know, with Cam and Barry and, and Dean, you know, that's a season that you take away Dean Wade's foot, um, you know, foot injury. And that's a team that probably could have made it a little bit farther than they did. But I would say this is probably like the second, maybe number two on my list. Uh, I think the personalities of this team were great, but I, the the huge thing that puts this team up there is – the brand that I think we're becoming from a basketball perspective um, and getting guys to see this program and be like, I want to play at Kansas state. And I think with what the social media influence and the way that Jerome Tang, you know, talks about this program and talks about, you know, what it means to be here. Um, it, it's kind of like a rebirth a little bit. And um, you know, it's, it has to rank up there because of that. For me, I mean, this is – I'd say this is two. This is definitely the second because that 18 season was just, you know, Bruce, I mean, at his pinnacle with my guys, you know. Like Matt just said, you know, you had Barry, Dean, Kamau, Stokes. Those those core guys right there were just so fun, and it was – a crazy run that they had through the big 12 uh, regular season. You know, they lost the first two and then they just kind of went on a tear uh, losing to Texas A&M randomly. That was a very strange game, but that season was really, really fun this season. Actually, I'd say, I'd say it's a tie for first. This season is probably tied for first. And then uh, Matt, did you say the, the, 12 13 season was that the was that Bruce's first year that that was a fun um well I said 11 I said I think 11 what did I say 11 12 you said I think you might have said 10 11 I I said 10 11 yeah okay Uh, mine would probably be the 12 13 Bruce's first year that was fun too you know Magruder hitting that uh I think that was the Magruder year where he hit beat Baylor on a buzzer. Uh, that was fun as shit. That was a fun season. Not the NCAA tournament, but, you know, whatever. We'll, we'll excuse that. And then, man, the, you know, the Beasley year. I mean, that's just, you just can't make that shit up. The Beasley year was you have the best player in college basketball on your team. That is nuts. Like you have a lottery pick player on your team doing shit that we've, frankly, we might never see again at K state. So that season was fun. So I'll, I'll say those, those four right there in my head, those are probably my four favorite. And this one was probably tied for four.
if you want to talk about most disappointing seasons in K-State basketball history, that 08 team might have been one of the most disappointing finishes to a season just with, with who was on that team with Michael Beasley, Jacob Pullen. I mean, I've got the media guide right here in front of me because it's Bill Walker. I mean, Bill Walker, like, dude, we had dudes on that team. That was just one of the most fun teams I've ever, (laughs) I've ever watched play basketball. Uh, But but like the season was great. There were a lot of ups and downs, but it was Frank's first season. So that one's up there for me. I think if you, if you look at, at the end of season where the team landed, in comparison to years past, I mean, it's a top 15 season for K-State all time, just as far as how, how deep they made it in my own lifetime. Again, this has only happened three times for, for me, it's happened four times if you were born in 1988 or, or after, but I, this for me is probably ranked second behind the 2010 season. And then 2018 is probably third for me the the, the 2010 season for me, to bring it back to Beasley and Frank Martin, it, it felt like it was a little bit of a culmination of where things were headed in the program at that point in time. So if I could go back in the time capsule to 2010, it felt like that elite eight run was like, okay, this team is cooking now and, and can make a deep run in the tournament. It's going to be interesting to see where Frank takes this thing. And then obviously everything happened with Frank and, and, you know, the hire of Bruce was polarizing. And so things, you know, fell apart a little bit after that and, and was up and down and kind of a roller coaster ride for the last 10 years. So it, it, at that point in time for me in my life, it felt like this was, this was incredible and, and is not going to be beat. And then this team came along again, first year head coach it, it's all of the personalities, all of the media hype about this team, especially the last three weeks through the tournament. It's just been a, a joy to watch this team play basketball. And, and I'm, sad to see these guys go, but I still think it's been a blast. Uh, so I would rank it, I would rank it second all time, just because again, the memories that I have of that 2010 team are, are, are hard to beat, but we're going to pivot. This is the last thing that we have tonight. Uh, we've got some superlatives and, and Matt wants to go through some thank you. So superlatives, this is where we're going to have a little bit more fun than, than the last section. Uh, we, so we discussed it for the basketball team. But who on the football team would be the most likely to bring the gun to the situation? Anyone, anyone can go. For this, my past, answer is Seth Porter. For this past season, yeah, I'm going to say Seth Porter. Ooh, could you imagine like the Porter brothers pulling up with like just two twin Glocks, just because you know they're rolling together? You know they're they're not they're not coming to the the situation. You know not together. So one can be Brandon Miller. One could be the actual shooter for God's sakes, who knows, but you know, they're definitely not rolling apart from each other. So they definitely got, they're bringing two guns to the situation. Fuck. I was going to say Seth Porter. (laughs) Damn it. Um, God, I was going to say Hayden Gillum. Like he's got, he's got <laughs> the beef. He's got, yeah, he's got like a um. What's the what's the little burger place y'all got out there? Um, the McDonald's. Yeah, no, you goof. Uh, what's the Vista Culver's? Burger? He's got he's got Culvers in one hand and like a, uh, and a Culvers. Yeah, that didn't he get? He was trying to get a. Oh shit! Yeah, he got the uh, NIL deal with Culvers. Yeah, he was, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah he yeah, was yeah, trying yeah. to. My bad. 
Catsman, do you have an answer for this one? Oh. Yeah, I have no idea. I'll probably go with Brothers. All right. I feel like the go-to answer for this is just find the whitest guy on the team. I feel like a good backup answer could be Hadley Panzer, just because he's from Lakin, Kansas. And like no one lives in Lake in Kansas. Ooh, what about what? What's the what's the long snapper Platner? Platner? Oh, Randall Ooh, Platner. Man. Random, Random Platner. Platner. Random Platner. You know he's wearing he's got the cowboy hat with that mullet streaming, and it's just you know he's got that thing on him. He got that thing thing. He got that hitter on him. Okay, next next question for the group: Who is the best non K State Twitter personality that you've either interacted with or do you just enjoy their content that you've seen this this past you know football and basketball season? We'll throw it all together. Dude, that's the be- the worst question for me because I don't I don't do anything on Twitter outside of K State sports. That's the, I don't do any I like I don't know any personalities that you know like. Everybody's like bigging up Cyclone Larry. Like, I don't give a shit about Cyclone Larry. Like, get out of here. My answer is probably going to be Robbie Triano, to be honest with you. He's not a K-State Twitter personality, ah, technically. I guess you're right. And and his attempt to get a dunk is a series that I'm very, very excited to continue watching as he progresses through the year. Uh, you know, Robbie, I there are there are times where you see it on Twitter and you forget that he didn't go to K-State. And then I remembered, you know, Michigan State. But uh, I, I'm kind of in the same boat as Chef because I don't really interact with anybody outside of K-State. But um, I did a while back um, interact with, if anybody remembers, Andy Glockner. But Andy Glockner, he was in a, a sports media guy, but he was always on the – trash can Dylan's receipt uh, train. Like, obviously, you know, this guy didn't just pull out a receipt out of a trash can. And he always was on case, or he was always on not John Curry's side. And uh, he tweeted about it earlier this year because of some compliance thing. So I guess that's mine. Yeah, Mark in the South Dakota, Mark is probably, he just, he laid it in the chat and that's, you know that's that's gold right there. I go I go South Dakota. Shout out to Mark. Shout out to Mark. He's he's always you, you pop into the live chat fairly frequently. So we appreciate you continuing to support the show, even though we we played South Dakota one time in football. Who knows when we're scheduled next to play South Dakota, if at all, in the near future? But you know who we're going to go to when we're when we're ready for that game preview, and and who knows, maybe we'll play in basketball at some point. So we'll bring you on for that as well. The next question I have: What was your favorite moment from Cocaine Willie this year, and also who was your favorite guest? So it's a two part question: favorite moment and favorite guest from the pod this year. I mean, <laughs> I mean, we Bijan all know. Cortez. <laughs> Bijan yeah, Cortez. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that is probably the moment. Same. Or Durfing. Durfing. Yes, Durfing was great too. That was Same, that was too. Robbie. Robbie really brought it out. You know, he really he got us going on that one. But my favorite guest, though, oh, what was the guy? 
Who's the guy from Oklahoma? Keegan. The Keegan Renault. Keegan. Keegan was good. I like I like Keegan. Those man, when we were getting we were getting get, you had guests coming in here left and right. I mean, I thought we were kind of big time. You know, we were getting some big big names in here, and I liked it. Yeah, you know, the football season was fun. Yeah, I the Keegan Renault show was one that uh I was not able to be on because I've I was busy. Um and that was a show I was listening with some of my buddies uh on our drive and the entire time we're like, Holy shit, this guy, he is good. Like he knows his stuff. And um I would say for all the football, you know, we Bob Commissioner Bob did a great job. Chef did a great job in finding, you know, people who care as deeply about their programs as we do for ours. So, um, yeah, the West Virginia one was great uh, with uh, Brandon. Was it Brandon Phoenix? Um, yeah. Maybe. Hopefully that's his yeah. name. Yeah. Brandon, um, <laughs> it was Brandon Phoenix or Jeremy Phoenix. I forget which of the two brothers it was, but they, I mean, they're both great. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we've had some great guests for sure. Great guess for sure. As far as favorite moments, I, I think, you know, we, it was the Robbie Triano show in general. I'll just say the entire show was, was a great moment. My, my personal favorite guest was honestly stats of war. I know that a lot of K-State Twitter people have burned bridges with him for stuff that's happened on Twitter, but like he is still one of my favorite Twitter personalities. That dude has never shied away from a DM from me he was super gracious to come on and, and talk to us. And, and my favorite part about that show was when he gave us a little bit of information on, on, you know, Gary Patterson getting the wrong information from a K-State insider about who was going to be the starting quarterback, if it was going to be Skylar Thompson or Will Howard. So that's a, that's a fun one to listen back to. If you haven't uh, listened to that episode, for those who are maybe newer to listening to the show, that was just a fun one. Uh, and I've got timestamps in that one, I think, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, go, go, you know, go back through the archives and listen to that one. Okay, uh, another fun question. Who, which non-professional athlete on the football team and basketball team? So think about guys who played on this football team and this basketball team who are not going to go on to the next level to play professionally, whether that's the NFL, NBA, or, or overseas in Europe or the XFL even. So which of the non-professional athletes on these teams do you think will go the farthest in their career post-collegiate athletics? I think I know who my answer is going to be, but I want to hear from the group first. I don't really understand this question. Are we like saying like what they're going to be outside of sports? Okay, let me let me give my answer then. I think my answer is going to be Cade Warner. That dude's going to have a future in whatever the hell he decides to do, whether it's being a media personality or if he – you know, pursues a career in, I mean, what was his major? Let's see. I don't know what his major was. That fucker's going to be a coach. I mean, I don't care what you got to say. He's going to be academic advising. Dude, he's an a- academic advisor. He's working on his master's. He's going to be a, he's going to be a coach somewhere, somewhere. So he's going to be a GA real quick. And then once I think he's playing in some league, right. Or he did some kind of, he was doing something, but I think he's going to, I guarantee you he's going to be a coach. Dude is going to be a high-ranking coach pretty soon, too. He knows his shit. He's, I mean, even as a player, he was trying to get up in those meeting rooms and do all that stuff. He's going to be a coach. Uh, you know, I think I think one of – it would not shock me if, like, one of the guys on, like, 
the football team like became president. So I don't know. I'd take your pick. I'm um like scampering through these rosters to see who's a pre-med major. <laughs> I don't know. Honestly, Maybe, I don't I don't have a good question for this. What is what is Duff, what is Duff's major? Uh somebody Christian, figure out Christian Duffy. Yeah, figure out his major for me because he is he's, he's buttoned up, man. I like marketing. Duffy. He's a marketing major. Oh, Christian Duffy, he's gonna be successful as shit. Give that man like 10 years, and he's gonna be super, super successful. Yo, do we not have we gotta have some fucking engineers on this thing, right? Who is the guy who's an engineer? Fuck. There's some find all those honor honor roll guys, they're all engineers. I know, I know. I swear there's like an engineer that they somebody was talking about like in the media about it. Like how oh, this guy's an engineer and an engineering major. I don't know. I don't have a good answer. I'm sorry. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, it, it kind of blends into the next, uh, into the next question. Uh, I'll switch up the order here, but just because you brought it up, chef, who do you think is the most likely to have a future in coaching it? It sounds like your answer is Cade Warner, unless you have a different response for that. No, it's, it's Cade Warner. That guy is, I mean, I don't know where his, like, I think he's from Arizona, obviously, but I don't know, like if he, if he's, those guys that are like seventh year seniors, they always like, I mean, Skyler, all them, Denzel Goolsby, they were already like fucking married while they're on the football team. So I don't know what Cade Warner's like life is like. <laughs> That's weird to say. Cause you know, I'm a, I'm a 33 year old man sitting in his basement talking about uh, college kids, but I don't know what his life's like, but I would imagine that if he's, if he's serious about it, he can, he can get into the coaching realm and like be anywhere, anywhere he wants to go. He can, his dad's Kurt Warner, for God's sake, he can get his foot in the door on anywhere and just, you know, get on, get on a staff. I'm going to go with uh Marquis Noel. I, uh, I do think he, I think he'll, he'll obviously have a chance to be a pro. Um, but I also think he has the the capability to get into the coaching piece. I mean, the, the, the story he's had of, you know, just growing up and, and having, you know, to overcome, you know, some physical trait. I mean, you know, his height, you know, is something that, you know, he's been able to, to take his talents to overcome some of those pieces. And, and I mean, I, I could easily see him being a GA on the staff at some point. I really do. Um, you know, I, I want to see him be successful as a pro, but I would love to see him as a coach. I agree with Marquise. I think Marquise is, was was going to be my answer for this one just because point guards typically become coaches anyway. If you look at, at some of the most successful coaches in the NBA and, and NCAA, they're a lot in a lot of cases previous point guards. I mean, even if you go back to I'm pretty sure Bob Huggins was a point guard at West Virginia. So a lot of these guys have been point guards. You you have to have those chops to to understand what play to call and what situation and, and who's going to be open when and, and be able to read those defenses and when they switch from man to zone, things like that. So I, I think Marquise is, is the obvious answer there for me. And next question, who is most likely to become a rapper or a musician? And, and the inspiration for this question is, is Nick Walsh, who is now a country music artist in Nashville. My my 
go-to answer is Keontae Johnson. I mean, you saw it with his little – He already yeah, raps. with his side interview with Jareem Dowling in the locker room. Give me Keontae. You know, there's probably a million guys on the football team that are probably have the talent to do it, I would bet. Um, but I would go Keontae Johnson. I'm going to go with – Carver Willis, because his name, his name sounds like he could be like on the Country Music Hall of Fame. Like (laughs) Carver Willis. Willis. (laughs) Carver Willis is also from Lano, Texas, originally before he moved to Durango, Colorado. Which are you know, country music is a hotbed in both in both of those places. So, see. Yeah, Carver Carver Willis's parents are friends friends with my in-laws, so that's a, that's a fun connection there. I I'm gonna go with with Desi Sills for no reason other than I love his nickname Lil Des. Like I, I've got to go with Lil Des. He could go by Desi Grills too. I mean that shit would be <laughs> that would be literally a rapper name. Like I I couldn't believe that his actual name is like what's his real name? Is it Desi? Is it actually Desi? Yeah, I think so. That's his dad is his dad is Big Dez. Dez. Senior. Big Dez. His dad is Big Dez. That's why they call him <laughs> Little Dez. <laughs> Dude, I'm not gonna lie. The the Desi Sills content from the last two weeks has been some of my favorite content that's been put out by K State Athletics, just because he's such an endearing character. Like I, I just he's it's adorable watching him talk talk about this stuff. He's like talking about being a country boy, and he's calling him Glizzies for the first time. It's just it's incredible content. It's- and we just, we talked about. I know we're get, we're we're winding down, but fuck, dude, we'll talk about this season and then what he went through this season. Like there is just every oh no kidding. Like every door you like you open, you close one door. Like Keontae, his story, and then you close that door, and then you turn around. Desi's door's right there, and you open it. And what he went through, losing his family member, right right towards the end of the season, and then. We lose what three, no two get two two games, while he's like dealing with, who knows how long he was dealing with it. But you know, he loses his family member. Then he we go on that magical run. I mean, it's just there's endless, endless, endless storylines throughout this this team, and Desi's doesn't get talked about nearly enough, and that's a guy we'll sorely miss. The last two questions I have. The first one, who do you think is the most likely to transfer for football and basketball? Knowing that we do have spring practice coming up in football and and there will probably be a handful of transfers, uh, are there any guys that you're thinking might be on that list? I'll start with football. Uh, Jake Rubley, I think, no. is up there. Um, or Adrian Lara. One of no, the two. no, no, no. Okay, I'm just saying. No. And for basketball, I'm going to just throw it out there because maybe there's some rumblings. I don't know if it'll be a transfer or if just a leaving, but Ish Masood. No. What? I, Why? Okay, well, I think the football one is easier to describe. Like, Yeah, yes, but no. So for Ish, like maybe I, you know what? I, I have to throw somebody out there who I 
who do we going to say? Cam Carter? I think Cam's going to start next year. I would say like maybe a Dorian Finister. I mean, he he was literally the only guy, the only freshman that said, "Hey, I would like to play." We burned his red shirt for two games in the non-con, and then we don't play him. So, I mean, either that tells you that the coaching staff says that he wasn't ready, which obviously he's not ready, and he's a true freshman, and he burned his red shirt because of it. Um, I don't, I don't like doing this, you know. <laughs> I don't like speculating without like any kind of knowledge on it. But like, if I were to just make up a name, I would say Dorian Finister. But I think, I mean, he's got talent. He could jump. He could shoot. Uh, but if I had to make a, up a name, because that's what we do, we're a fan podcast. I would make up Dorian Finister, and I don't want to see it happen. But you know, Dorian Finister would be the obvious choice for me. For basketball. I must add that Chef doesn't like to speculate, but bring up the tin hat whatever <laughs> conspiracies and <laughs> that, that's <laughs> so let that's hear me out. Different. Let's have a tournament before the season. <laughs> now tell me that wasn't a bad idea. It was an incredible episode, I'm not gonna lie. Uh I, I think for football, I, I agree with Matt. I think it would be one of the quarterback depth guys that maybe doesn't have a path to becoming a starter at some point just because Adrian or not Adrian, just because Avery Johnson came in and, and maybe these guys aren't going to have a path like, like Jake Rubley or, or Adrian Lara. I don't see that happening. You know, the quarterback room, I mean, what is it? Five, five deep Two. one is a true freshman. One is a red shirt freshman. Jake Rubley is a red shirt sophomore. Will Howard is a senior. I mean, he has one more season, but the odd, everything that's been said that is this is his final go around. Um, so Jake Rubley is the incumbent, and Avery is the the future future. Adrian Laura maybe, but Adrian Laura is he's only been here for one year. I don't see that happening. If it was me for the football team, what I could see happen is potentially an offensive lineman transferring like, um, uh, what's the, not Carver Willis, but what's the, I guess he already transferred. But I mean, probably an offensive lineman in my opinion is where a transfer would come from. And then on the basketball side, the the answer that came to my head is Cam Carter, but maybe he does start next year. I mean, he's he started games this year as well, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, he started all so, of them. Uh, didn't he? Maybe not the beginning because they had like Tyke Green yeah, start. Yeah, but I don't know. I don't know. I just threw that in there for fun. The last question I have: What are you most excited for for next season, football and basketball? Getting to talk about it with you bums. Hey, big kiss face emoji. Mine would be, mine would be, you know, the football team without Deuce Fawn. I know it's only been three years, but God dang, it seems like he was, he was K-State football for all those years. So just the football field without Deuce Fawn and how we replace him is DJ Giddens really the is he the truth? Is War Trayshawn Ward is he gonna be the is he gonna be a dog? It, dog? Is he gonna be a dog? Uh yeah, just that for the football team for the basketball team. I mean, the offseason, 
I've never been really invested into basketball off seasons, but now that I what Tang just went through, getting eleven guys in here, only having two players on the roster, I'm going to be on edge for every little nugget that comes out of this basketball program. Facts, absolutely. I it's going to be waiting on pins and needles to figure out who we're going to plug and play those. Those six seniors, six seniors, right? I think maybe Nate Aubrey was, a, was is a walk on, so he's not taking up the scholarship spot. But five five scholarship seniors, and then we've got three freshmen coming in on the basketball side. So there are at least two spots that are open on this team that that we're likely going to fill with transfers. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens there. I think for me, what I'm most excited about football wise is we all saw how Kobe Savage played last year, right? And then and then when the injury happened. Obviously, we were all super, super disappointed, super, super sad for him. And and it sounds like his rehab is going really, really well. And uh, from from a little birdie that, that may or may not uh, listen to this podcast from time to time and, and join in on the action from time to time, tells me that he's going to come back and play super pissed off. So he's he played like a madman last year. Sounds like this year he's going to play even even madder. So I'm I'm really, really excited to see how that translates to the field. And on the basketball side, I'm excited to see what Tang is able to build from this from this incredible baseline that he's established for this team. I'm excited to see who on this roster he's going to elevate, similar to how he elevated Marquise and Ish on this from this last season. Because Marquise was was a very good player who was obviously overshadowed by Nigel Pack last year and developed from a second guard, I would say, to one of the best point guards unequivocally in the country based on his run that he had in the NCAA tournament. And, and Ish went from being a, you know, he plays every once in a while, he he gets a couple minutes a night, but isn't really contributing a ton to the team. He took that and, and got him to buy in, you know, what was it like late December, early January, when we heard Tang talking in the press conference about getting dudes to buy in and Ish wasn't really even playing the, the first few games of the season. There, there was a buy-in issue with him, and, and he went from that to being a solid, solid contributor that he hit, the, like I said earlier in the pod, he hit the game winner against Baylor. He, he just, I, I can't say enough about what he did in the tournament this year. A lot of people are going to remember that last play against Florida Atlantic, but that will not overshadow, for me at least, what he did the rest of the season, especially in conference play. We got big 12 ish to, to forever remember from this team that that did a lot of really great things that he was not doing last year, or even in the first part of the season, to be honest. So that rounds it out for our superlatives, Matt, I'm going to throw it over to you for, for your thank yous. Yeah. um, I wanted to kind of end the show uh, knowing that kind of the end of season one of what we hope to be many seasons at cocaine Willie. And uh, I just want to say thank you to the both of you. Uh, This has been great on a weekly basis uh, to be able to talk about the cats, talk about the team uh, and the programs that we love. Um, I remember when Joey texted me about this and I would say, I don't know, July or August and I couldn't commit to it. Um, But I, I'm very glad that I committed to it with y'all and um, excited to see as, uh, as things go, uh, how this grows. And, you know, we want to be 
we want to be there for you all, all of you listeners as, as a, a podcast you can come to and uh, get your, yeah, maybe make fun of us a little bit, uh, but, you know, get some good, good news, good opinions on the, on the team. So just want to say thanks to both of you on uh, an incredible uh, half a year. Thanks buddy. That's beautiful. I mean, I, I couldn't have said it better myself that this is just, you know, for just a normal dude working a nine to five with a family, just to talk about what he loves, what we love. And, you know, to do it on a weekly basis with other, other dudes, just talking ball, just talking what we like to talk about is there's, whether we make zero cents or a million dollars from this podcast or we make it or we don't make it as long as we're just talking. I mean, I'm happy because being a thousand miles away from you guys doesn't, it doesn't take away from the fact that we love K state. We love sports ball and you know, I'm just happy that we're, we're, we're doing it together. I am with both of you there. I, I appreciate both of you for for being willing to do this. I know when we started this thing, I, I just decided that I wanted to do an after party to the Bosco's Boys live show, which was which was always a blast. And I was pretty much drunk every one of those first couple of episodes. But once 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 I realized, I think eh, maybe we have something going here. Uh, decided to invite Chef to to be an official co-host invited obviously fireball Matt to be an official co-host and, and having the two of you has been awesome. I mean, I, I want to thank the, the guests that we've had on because we have had to chef's point, some really incredible guests. And uh, Mark went from South Dakota, uh, fear the wave from Tulane, Keegan Renault from OU gambling gauchos is always fun. Uh, 23 personnel hopped on that one. Jake Bren from Iowa state Flando from on three stats of war for TCU Philip Slavin from the 1012, uh, the, the, the Texas gals from fire, the cannon, Rocky and, and, uh, fancy, uh, our daily bears for Baylor, Jeremy Phoenix again for, for, um, from raspy voice kids for the West Virginia preview. And then Brandon or uh, Braden Turner for the KU preview. Those were all really fun to, to put together, have everybody on there. And then last but not least, Robbie Triano who helped with, with some of the previews and, and discussion for the basketball season, but couldn't have asked for better guests. I hope to have as many of them on next year as possible, just because it, it makes for great content, great conversation. And, you know, we're not going to have a Missouri guest on next year because they, they decided not to join this year. That's all I have have to say about that. But I mean, super appreciate the fans, everybody who comes on the live show and, and contributes. I mean, Coley Dub, Will the Thrill, I, I could go, Will Dubois, I could go on and on and on about some of the regulars that we have in here, but appreciate all of you as well. And everybody who listens afterward, it's it's awesome to to see those listens in that counter go up and up and up to the right after every subsequent episode. And obviously uh, we're coming up on two hours here, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a blast and I've enjoyed every single moment of it. But with that, I mean, <laughs> this is going to be the last one for a few weeks. So we'll we'll probably come back late April, maybe early May, talk a little bit about spring ball and, and summarize some of that. And we've got some off-season content lined up for you too. So we're, we're going to have some fun episodes where honestly, we're going to probably just rely on a lot of guys talking ball discussion, which we're going to go back to cocaine Willie's roots, where we talk about things like conference realignment. We're going to talk about things like, 
just random hobbies that we have and, and force the other, the other co-hosts to contribute to that. But and any final words from, from the two of you before we sign off for the last time for season one? It's been fun, buddy. Let's, let's end it out. Let's do this. Save a line, chef. Cocaine's a hell of a drug, baby. We are all coke and no joke. Wildcat country. Let's ride. Let's ride. Let's ride. Let's ride. I was, I was going to say it if you didn't, so I'm glad you did. <laughs>